0: On today's I 5 corridor, Tyson and Aiden break down Oregon's 4 0 start. Then Jason Quick of The Athletics stops by to, to talk about Portland Trailblazers Media Day and what's the latest with Damon Willard. That's coming up next. listening to the i5 corridor hosted by tyson alger and aiden uh, schneider i don't know like yeah. like, it, it, like 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 to be honest it was like one of those things where like when i watched it it was just kind of like Ugh. but then like like whatever like that's that's sports like like it's not always like like sunshine and rainbows on the sidelines and it, and it seemed like chris took it okay yeah he totally did we, we should that's we let, we should just use this this as like the launch into this is this week's podcast. Was, it, was that the first game that you've been to this season or was that your second? That
1: was my first. What? It, okay,
0: so yeah. it's just like uh, other than we, we were talking just a little bit leading into this about just kind of weird team, general takeaways being in the stadium for the first time, like for for the 4-0 number three Oregon
1: Ducks. <laughs> well, it was great that they got the win. Um, happy about that. And as you know, like with my reaction to the Fresno State game, I'm not too big on carryover between games just because so much can go different. Uh, so much can be different on a game-to-game basis. But it's it's a little tough, just especially after some of the, the teams that I was on and some of the Oregon teams before that that I watched, you know, with they come out on the first two drives with such a strong start. And in years past, you would have said, okay, the game's over after that second drive. They're putting them away. And then just to see those long periods on offense where there wasn't really a lot going on and and they had a bit of trouble um, putting stuff together was just a bit concerning. Do you you think we would be as concerned about these sort of things if they lost
0: the Ohio State game? Or does that just put everything then under the magnifying glass of like, this is a team with playoff potential now?
1: Uh, I, I think the Ohio State win really magnifies it just because... When you have a performance like that early in the season, that really is like a measuring stick for what you're capable of. And then inevitably teams are going to have struggles throughout the season. But it really just gives you such a high high to compare your lows to that it kind of changes the way you look at things, I think. It's, it's
0: fascinating because, I mean, ultimately the Ducks are in a fantastic spot. They're 4-0. They're the only undefeated team in the Pac-12. They control their destiny, all, all that sort of thing. And, like, aside from Justin Flo, like, they're relatively healthy now with Kayvon Thibodeau getting back on the field. But, it, yeah, it, it does certainly have that, like, this just feels not off because, like, they're winning football games and that's what you're supposed to do. But it just... I outlined. I had a piece earlier today looking back at all of Oregon's four and zero starts since two thousand, and uh, the Ducks are winning their games right now by nineteen point two five points per game, which is hey, that's great. But like, you can go back and look at like your twenty fourteen team. You, you guys were beating teams by thirty points per game throughout that. The the twenty thirteen team, which I like, was a phenomenal team up until that Stanford game. They were beating teams by forty nine points per game. So you know, it's it's different eras, it's different coaches, but. Um, it's just not nearly as convincing as as some of those ones were before. And, you know, I, I don't think Oregon's necessarily arguing that it's to, to quite to that peak point yet. Like every time you talk to Ball, it's like this program's still building towards something. But it's uh, um, it, it's just fascinating to watch that, especially then when you look at like Oregon State and Corvallis, which is like coming coming out of their rebuild and playing a really fun style of football to watch right now. Like that that win over USC was an entertaining game of football to watch.
1: Yeah, that was that was unexpected. I mean, I know uh, John Canzano called that on Twitter prior to the game, so shout out to him. And <laughs> I, I read that tweet and I was like, "That's that's, okay, two, that's you know, two that he
0: has now because he called Oregon beating Ohio State as well." John's going the uh,
1: the effective homer route this year, and it's working for him. <laughs> it's paying off. Yeah, I, I read that and I I kind of thought maybe maybe Oregon State can make it close, but I, I hate to rain on beaver fans parades, not that there are gonna be a lot listening, but I think <laughs> this is I think this is gonna be one of those wins where, you know, it's great for their program. They're they're working on building something, but I think in a few weeks and just even at the end of the season, I think we're gonna look back at where USC ends up with everything going on and it's going to look a little less impressive than it maybe does right now.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and I feel a little bit of that same way, not to the same extent, but just kind of looking back at that Ohio State win for Oregon. You know, I I think in retrospect, that's probably not a top 5 Ohio State team. Certainly still like a top 25, top 15, 10. Like like that's still a good win. Don't take it anything away from them, but um just just seeing the way like the way USC struggles, like it's it's mind-boggling. Like I understand they fired their coach, but I fired off a tweet and like USC still has like 46 players on their roster that are either like four or five stars. Like that's insane. Like that's like a decade worth for like the Beavers <laughs> and like, and just like the, the like, the, like that, the, that goes just to show like why that program is still such a sleeping giant though. Because if, if they like, they've been able to recruit throughout all this crap that they've been in like the last 10, 10 years. And if they can actually like get somebody to point it in the right direction, uh, Pac twelve is gonna be in a pretty good spot, I feel like.
1: Yeah, and it, after how it's gone this year, it could definitely use it. <laughs> We've seen a a pretty rough start from from a few programs that are yeah, you know, usually at the top of the conference. Like Utah's been having a rough time. Obviously, we know Washington, but you know, even like Washington State, who usually kind of in there mixing it up, someone you don't necessarily want to play is just really struggling. I, I feel I feel like Washington State when Leach
0: was coach was always game for about three, just got out coached. I mean, I'm going to out coach you get, like wins a year where it's just like they won. Cause like Leach just concocted some sort of perfect thing. I by concocted, I mean, just threw the shit out of the ball for four, <laughs> four, four, four quarters and nobody could stop him. But, uh, uh you know, and I, I don't have the X's and O's, uh, knowledge to really diagnose this, but I just feel like Rolovich doesn't quite have that that same talent up his sleeve, and then, you know, it's pretty hard to recruit
1: out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, the Oregon-Washington game this year. I'm I'm going up for that. I'm pumped. I've been looking at the tickets. They're definitely cheaper than they have been in previous years, so I'm, I'm pumped about that. What's what's the date on that one? Is that early November? I believe it's
0: November 6th. Dude, that's, I think- that stadium, I mean – you guys actually had to be in on the field and basically tights but at least you're running around but that stadium can get frigid for night games like being up being up in the the press box because you get the wind coming in right over the lake it's uh you know as we're drinking our coffee and our mittens and <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah yeah there have been some miserable times at that place it's a it's a cool stadium though when the weather's nice I mean like that's probably the best I mean you'll you'll be biased because you're a duck, but I, I think that's like one of the most unique places in college football.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty cool with the with the lake and the whole setup they got there. And it's funny you mentioned that about it being really cold because we played there my senior year. It was the first time we were allowed to wear long sleeves. So <laughs> there was this ridiculous rule uh that, was that Scott Frost team, and team, had. Oh, it was a team rule, okay. It was a, it was a team rule, no long sleeves <laughs> because Marcus kept fumbling and that was definitely not because of the sleeves. That was a, a separate issue, I think. But like, even the kickers couldn't get it. Even people who weren't even going to play couldn't get it. Like it was a, it was a bummer for cold games. That's funny. Cause like, that seems like it would be more of a crystal
0: ball rule, just like kind of like <laughs> fire and brimstone. We're not going to wear sleeves out here, but it was Helfrich and Frost. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was. That's one of the few things I was very thankful to uh, the Taggart era for. So, well, outside of
0: football, it's a pretty darn good time to be a sports fan in in the Northwest right now. Uh, I don't want to take credit for this, but ever since we did our uh, Timbers podcast, they have yet to lose. Uh, they're actually playing really freaking well. Um, the I just lost train of thought. Oh, sorry, Blazers are just about to start. Actually, they started practice this week. We have Jason Quick mm-hmm. from The Athletic coming on here uh, right after this to talk about uh, their start. And uh, just, I think he's like, what, 20 years on the beat now. So just a little bit about his time doing that. Um, and if you're a baseball fan, like the Mariners are in the race, the, the the Kraken in the NHL played their first exhibition game last night, like it's 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 popping, man. It's It's good times to be out here.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to have all the sports back all at once. I'm I'm excited to see where the Blazers end up, and you said Timbers are scoring goals, they're winning games, and I think that uh, the six-two home loss to Seattle was exactly what they needed to get the season turned around. I I really just feel like they, uh, you know, they're, they're, we put a lot of pressure on
0: them. I, I I know that this podcast is played in the locker room. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's bulletin board material, um, so you're you're welcome, Portland Timbers fandom. Well, <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll definitely as as that season progresses and, and gets down to it, we'll we'll definitely have a, another soccer episode coming for uh, moving forward. But uh, let's just jump right into it with uh, quick here from uh, the Athletic. Let's let's just jump right into it. It's uh it's Tuesday. It's the first day of Blazers practice. This is your what. Tw- 16th year doing what year is this free jace 24th Tw- i was trying to be i was trying <laughs> that, to <be. laughs> not
2: as old as you i've been doing this since you were shitting in your diapers tyson
0: well yeah i mean that, that might not be as long as you think but uh, <laughs> what what interested you yesterday at media day like like what's 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 registering in, in your book Well, the big thing for
2: media day was just um, seeing and hearing Damian Lillard be engaged and be being happy with his situation in Portland. You know, it was such an ugly summer um, for everyone involved with the Blazers, the fans, uh, the front office, the roster, obviously the coach got fired. Um, but particularly with Dame, I think he really took it hard and he struggled, um, with kind of accepting what he was going to do with his feud with the Blazers. I think he wrestled with, you know, do I want to, uh, leave and, um, find a better situation for me, uh, where I could get closer to winning a championship. And, uh, so it was a really odd thing for everyone. I think including Dame to see him in that state of mind, because he's usually so um, positive and so inspiring. And this was really a different side of Damien that um, I don't think a lot of people had seen. I, I certainly didn't. And in my interactions with him over the summer um, I didn't recognize him. Uh, it, it was weird for me to um communicate with him while he was in this kind of state. So it was really cool to see him back smiling again and, um, bullets going on in Portland and mystic that yes, uh, we can be successful. Um, and, and he's always held this belief that whatever team I'm on, I think we have a chance to win the championship. That's one of his greatest things is that he can, Kind of infused that uh, confidence in everyone around him uh, that, hey, we can achieve things that people don't think that we can. And so he, he was back to being that guy yesterday. And I think that was really important for, for everyone to see, not just the fans, uh, not just the media, but his teammates as well to see, okay, Dame is back and engaged and he's the old Dame you know, let, let's get this rolling. So that was the one thing from, from media day that I thought was really important that Damian Lillard is back and, and he's talking like the old Damian that let's go and get this championship.
0: It, and, and, oh, I, oh, I was just going to interrupt and say, it's, it's, it's fascinating, especially the, uh, reading your story today on the athletic about that. And you, you were saying that like, you know, it's his, his fourth album's coming out now and, and coming out or like after all the summer controversy and, I, uh, I clicked on, uh, I went through and like one of the last articles you wrote at the Oregonian was like six years ago today. And, uh, it's it's talking about like that time capsule period in in Dame's life. And you have this part where he's like, he's, he goes roller skating at Oaks park. He, he bowls with his mom and is averaging around one sixty And he's occasionally pursues his hobby of expressing himself through music and lyrics. And it's, it's just funny, or it's just interesting to see like how that, that has, um, Progressed throughout throughout the last six years or so, you know. But
2: it, it was interesting too to hear Damien, and I I wrote about this a little bit. Uh, how he he kind of looked at some point this summer. He reflected back uh, on kind of who he is, and he looked and, and saw that you know in his marriage in his relationship. There were ups and downs, but he stuck with it. Uh, with the Olympics, uh, there was a time when he walked away from the Olympics because he thought there was too much politics involved in how they selected the team. But he ended up sticking with it, and he got his gold medal this year. And and same thing with the music. When he first started uh, to pursue, pursue music, people said, oh, God, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be focusing on basketball. You're not that good, you know but he stuck with it and now he's got four albums. So kind of the theme there was that I don't give up on things. Uh, I, I see it through. And I think that's what, where his mind is at with the Blazers right now is that, yeah, things have gotten rough for me here in Portland, but I'm not the type to walk away when things get get rough. I'm going to see this through. So, um, you know, it's that type of, of self-reflection self-awareness and the ability of him to kind of see all that and uh, verbalize it that I think it's why he has such a connection with the fan base is that he's so relatable and he's so real uh, and, and it it's just kind of endearing um, you know like I said I, this is my 24th year covering the Blazers and I've, I've covered a lot of sports in my time and he's the most impressive athlete that I've um, interacted with and I've been around some great ones I mean Marcus Mariota was another one Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know Brandon Roy there's been I've been around some really special not only players but people and and Dame Rice is above all of them he is really something else even that much above roy then um yeah in in different ways uh you know and it's hard i mean i i, mean, I, I hold both of them very in, in very high regard um but dame has a realness about it. i'm not saying that 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 b roy doesn't but uh dame just has this ability to um kind of take his life experiences and and put them in perspective so that everyone else can kind of relate to them. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, they're both very, very uh, cool people to kind of chronicle and and get to know. But anyway, so that that was media day. And today was uh, the first practice. And you know, I, I was driving down to Tualatin to their practice facility and going, God, what the heck am I going to write on? You know, this is, I wasn't too jazzed about it. And when I left that building, I haven't been as excited um, in a long, long time because Chauncey Billups was really fascinating to talk to. He was really inspiring and uh, engaging, and he just has a way about him. And all the players talk about it too. He just has a way of connecting and communicating that really, it, it, uh, I don't know. He, he just strikes the right tone and it, it, he, 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 he connects with people, even with media people. I mean, he was, he talked for 17 minutes and, it was some of the most enjoyable 17 minutes I can remember uh, chatting with the coach. And so I was, I was pretty f- fired up uh, about this season now. And I'm, I'm curious to see whether his coaching style translates uh, onto the court. And, you know, the big thing that, you know, if you really want to get X's and O's, the big thing that he implemented in day one was, Uh, totally changing their pick and roll coverage and how they're going to defend the pick and roll. The pick and roll is the number one play in basketball. It's it's run, you know, two thirds of the time. And and so how you defend it is really a big deal. And the Blazers the last nine years under Stotts uh, had this really conservative approach where the, the big would kind of uh, retreat off the, the pick and roll and protect the basket. That allowed the guard to uh, get into the paint and then do whatever he wants. Put up a mid-range shot, get a lay-in, draw a foul, dish out to the three. Well, Chauncey wants to get rid of all that. He's having uh, Nurkic come up and guard the pick and roll where the screen is set, which is really an aggressive way of defending it. And uh, so not only is he doing that, which is encouraging. I think Blazer fans will eat this up. They've been calling for a more aggressive plan, but it's interesting to hear how he is coaching it. It's very detailed oriented He's not only saying what they should do, he's saying why they should do it. And then, uh, you know, the three layers of how it, you know, if you do this, then this guy has to do that. And that guy has to do that. And to hear Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic talk about it, this hasn't been happening, you know, the past few years in Portland. And um, so Chauncey has a very, everyone keeps bringing it up a very detailed way of coaching. He's very detail oriented uh, and things, if if things aren't run how he wants them to be run, he stops it and says, no, 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 back it up. We're doing it this way. No, 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 no. Do it again. I want it done right. And, at the pro level um, sometimes that doesn't fly. You know, you have to have the respect of the players and Chauncey has such a great pedigree as a NBA champion and probable future hall of famer. Um, and like I said, the way he addresses the, the media and the way he talks to the players, he just has a way of connecting and getting his point across. So um it was really a, a fascinating and uh, encouraging first day for me, and I've been doing this forever. That it's become so stale, and uh, I left that building pretty jazzed today.
0: That's awesome. I, I, I I've definitely had days or games or whatever like that where you're just like ah man like like this feels like work and then like all of a sudden like you're you're on to either like a story or an angle or a hook and you're just like oh shit like I forgot that I really like telling stories and and like exactly right
2: isn't it uh you know and it's weird Tyson we've had these conversations uh a lot it seems like uh lately you know on the golf course I remember this summer of just like questioning why we're doing this? Why, why, why are we still doing this, this job? And every once in a while you get reminded why, and you're right. It's to tell these stories. And, um, it's nice to feel that spark again, because for me, uh, it's been a struggle, uh, the last few years, um, to find that spark or to maintain that spark. Uh, but, but hopefully, um, this is going to produce a lot of different stories. Having a coach that's
0: uh, has this kind of charisma, Aiden, you got anything?
1: Uh, yeah. So just just to go a little deeper, um, it it sounds like there's a lot of excitement with uh, with the coaching change and everything, and and after the rough summer where where Dame really made it clear that the roster needs to get better that changes need to be made. Like what sense do you have of how much of that can be fixed with coaching, especially on the defensive end and, and how much there still needs to be uh, personnel wise to get to where they want to get ultimately.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think he can help defensively and I, that's their big bugaboo. Uh, they've had one of the best offenses in the league for, last three or four years, but their defense has been among the worst. You know, last year they were second to last. Uh, and I think the way that he is coaching the defense um, and, and the way he's talking about holding guys accountable, um, I think that will go a long way. And, you know, I don't think there'll be a top 10 defense, but I think if they can get to middle of the pack, 16, 15, uh, and you pair that with probably a top three offense, I I think then you're, you're cooking with gas and you can maybe do something. Do I think this is a, a championship caliber roster? Probably not right now. Um, I do think they're better than last year. And, you know, people forget that last year this was – they tied for the fifth best record in the West, and the West was loaded. And they did that with – Yusuf Nurkic who's their best defensive player hurt for 35 of the 72 games and CJ McCollum who's their second best offensive player hurt for I think 25 of the 72 games so even though two of their guys were out at the same time they still were a high level team so uh and I, and I think this team is better. Their, their bench is better. They have better defenders, uh, particularly coming off the bench. So uh, I think they're close. And, you know, the big thing is going to be at the, if they're performing at a high level, and I, th- I do think this team will win a lot of regular season games, but I think they need one more piece to get them over the hump in playoff basketball because I don't think they have – a wing that is good enough defensively to guard the LeBron Jameses, the Kawhi Leonard's, uh, the Luka Doncic's. They don't have a a three who can um, match up size-wise with those type of elite players, which is so important in in playoff basketball. So I think it'll be interesting if they win – if they're a winning team around the trade deadline, which is February 10th, um, they could be in position to, to make some moves and get that type of piece. Um, but that's a long ways off, and a lot has to happen before then. But I do think this is uh, a good roster, but it's not a great roster. Um <laughs> but I think Chauncey can help elevate this, this roster. And I, i am never more convinced than after today. And yes, it's only one day of practice, but um, <clears throat> there's something about Chauncey that I, I think is really gonna,
0: to translate. Hey, this will be, uh, this will be, I guess, a little bit of a tougher question to answer because we haven't had our normal day to day in a couple of years, but, dating back to like your first years on the beat and, and now here 35 years, is is that what you said? 35 years? Yeah. (laughs) 24. Sorry. Sorry. 24 (laughs) years later, Uh, not so much. Like how much like the day to day for a reporter has changed, but like, how much, how much does the day to day, like just life in the NBA world like evolved over like that period of time that you've been covering it from just the way practices are run to, I mean, just your, even like your interactions with the guys.
2: Um. You know what? Really not. It's not all that drastic. I I mean, part of it just is uh, more, it's more personal just because I'm older and I'm more confident and I'm, I'm looking at stories differently now than when I was first breaking in to the NBA. I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know if the ball was pumped or stuff back then. Practically, you know. Uh, so, but as far as like access and stuff, it's it's still it's still the same, you know. Uh, but back then, when I was working for a newspaper, it was it was so much more of a grind where you know you had to file a pregame notebook. Then you had to file a story at the buzzer and then you had to file a story, um, with quotes on it or write through it, they called it. So you were just constantly grinding and then you had an off day story. And now, um, just with the athletic and the, and the online, you have more, I don't know, more room to, uh, look for better stories. You don't have to have that daily grind of it. And so I think I'm looking more, I look more for the human side of stories or the team element. I'm fascinated by how teams, um, gel and operate, uh, particularly like in the locker room. I, I love getting into the locker room dynamics, uh, of a team, you know, who, who speaks up, uh, who notices and who mentors people, um, that type of thing, who, you know, who's, <laughs> who, who bugs people in the locker room, you know, whose act wears thin with guys, uh, who do guys respect and gravitate toward, uh, stuff like that. Um, and, and how do how do people react during, um, adversity and, you know who kind of starts to spray and jump from the ship all that kind of stuff uh i kind of am more keyed to whereas i think earlier in my career i was more just on the you know the the nuts and bolts and this you know
1: starting li-
2: the starting lineup and <laughs> yeah. all that yeah so
0: i don't know i don't i don't know if i answered your question well well i mean that's why you have those uh those four Oregon Sports Writer of the Year awards <laughs> uh, displayed on your mantle back there. But I'm a- <laughs> uh, what, what do you, what do you uh, get? For, do, you, do you get a trophy for one of those things? You get a certificate, like uh, maybe like a T. Oregon Sports Writer of the Year. Yeah, maybe like a TGI Fridays gift certificate or something. You get a trophy. That's it. I I wouldn't know. You keep hogging them all, so. Aiden, before, uh, before he came on, you were, you were saying that you wanted to ask something about uh, just like the access difference
1: between college and NBA. Was that, was that right? Pretty much. Yeah. So just a lot of uh, my experience dealing with these like media player interactions is in college where things are really buttoned up and, and there's a lot more oversight and and rules from the program Mm -hmm. and, and, with what guys can and can't say. Um, But obviously in the NBA, there's more of a free market for players. They have a market value and they have a little more of a, a personal brand. So we all know about, you know, Damian Lillard, Brandon Roy, which we've touched on, but who are some of maybe the more under the radar guys who have been really enjoyable or interesting that you've covered over the years?
2: Oh man. Um, there's a lot. I, uh,
1: James Jones
2: was a one year, he played for the Blazers for one year and uh, I loved him and he's now uh, progressed, and Now he's the general manager of the Phoenix suns and has constructed them into an NBA finals team. But you could tell, uh, or I could tell even in that one year with uh, him in Portland, that this guy was sharp and, uh he was just really personable. You know, when you get to the NBA level you're and you're covering the beat, you're around these guys literally every day. You know, you see them in the morning at shoot around. You see them at night, uh, at the game, before the game, after the game. Then you see them the next day at practice. And very rarely, very, very rarely will an NBA player Ask anything of you. How you doing? How was your flight? What, how are things going? What you know? How old are you? Where did you go to school? N- none of that. Very rarely. Uh, but guys like James Jones would ask that. You know,
1: hey, are you married?
2: You know, hey, what'd you study in college? Where'd you go to college? He was that type of person. He was he he was interested in you, and uh, that that means a lot when, when players take the time to, um, you know, broaden, not everything's about them and and show some interest in, in you as well. Uh, So James Jones was like that. Uh, Joel Prisbilla was his, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Just a regular dude, a guy you would want to have a beer with. Um, Got to know uh, he and his wife. uh, And, I just like Joel because he, uh, I, I, I called him a red ass, which means, you know, he, he gets mad easily. And uh, so I'd always tease him about how he'd be a red ass. He got in several fights uh, during NBA games, gotten a couple altercations during practices. <coughs> and uh, it's just so funny because he's just a big seven-foot- one teddy bear, uh, but he had a temper. Uh, but he was just a regular dude. Uh, I, I really enjoyed him. Um, but you know, it, it was really interesting. So Aiden for a while, I, I, I covered, uh, I covered U of O during the Joey Harrington, Mike Belotti years. And then I got put on the Blazers beat and I did the Blazers for, I don't know, 13 or 14 years. And then I got, I got burnt out on the NBA and, um, uh, through the course of some shuffling and whatnot at the Oregonian, they needed somebody uh, to cover the ducks. And so I volunteered and I did the ducks for two years uh, during uh, Marcus's uh, last two years. And then after the, those uh, seasons were over, I'd I'd rejoin the blazers. But anyways, it was uh, at the time I, I was kind of, not kind of. I was burned out on the NBA lifestyle and just the like I was saying, the, the players, um, it, it was becoming hard to believe in a lot of these guys. Uh, and it was really refreshing to go to the college side and and talk to guys like Tony Washington and Josh Huff and uh, Keenan. Uh, well, Keenan Lowe and uh, Marcus, uh, they were great people. And that's another thing that I don't think people understand. Um, I don't know if it's still the the case, but Oregon brought in a lot of quality people to their football program. Um, Almost every kid I uh, interacted with was pretty upstanding. Um, But the difference in access (laughs) – became very uh acute to me when colt lyrela uh didn't i can't remember what
0: the, the situation was but he, he didn't play one game and i, I think it was or what didn't make so, a trip was it like at at virginia in 2013 or something like that
2: it wasn't it was it was tennessee it was surrounding oh, the right. tennessee game and anyways uh I had his number and I, I called him, and I guess that's a no-no. And in, in college covering a college team, and Colt oh, went off like on that. Yeah, Colt went off on Helfrich saying, uh, I, "I can't even remember all the details about it, but uh, the U of O flipped their lid." I mean, Scott Frost wouldn't talk to me for weeks, uh, and Helfrich was pissed, and Dave Williford, man. I love Dave, but it, yeah, you oh, should yeah. have heard those phone conversations. This is not the NBA. <laughs> you must run everything through me. Um, so that that's was a pretty a, good Wilford. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Jason, come on! <laughs> Got the the Tiger treatment. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so that was a lesson, or or you know, at least a refresher course in the difference between. Covering a, a, a college team and, and covering the NBA is that there were certain, as you put it, you know, button down rules that, as far as access with college players. But I really enjoyed the, um, oh, the, I don't know, if freshness is the right word, or the, um, it was just refreshing to talk to kids who, Um, weren't yet millionaires and didn't feel like they were better than you. Uh, And not saying that all the NBA players are like that, but they're,
0: Yeah, you were frozen. You were frozen for about 30 oh, seconds. I was, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, so looking back at those two years, it's funny because you, you did 2013 and 14, and 14 concluded in the, the title game, and then you were off the duck's feet. And so basically you saw the two best years of Mark Helfridge's coaching career, and then it kind of just dive-bombed after. Like, did do you remember anything from those two years where you were like, this isn't going to work? Because like I, like especially in 2014, it, it seemed like uh, it seemed like this was like ramping up to, to being kind of like Mark might be considered like one of the best coaches in football and and like that sort of thing.
2: Well, I never felt like Mark was being himself. I always felt like he was trying to be something different, and whether it was trying to be a little bit like Chip Kelly or. Uh, or what, but I, I felt like he was, I don't know. I, I just never got a good feeling about, he just never felt comfortable to me in, in his own skin. And look, clearly I think he's brilliant. I, I think he's really sharp and smart. Um, and maybe, you know, it, it's hard for me to, to say whether he's a good coach or not because I'm not in the coaching meetings. I'm not in practices. But just in analyzing him and how he dealt with the press, um, it didn't feel like he was uh, comfortable. And it didn't feel like he uh, had a full grasp on or a command of everything that was going on. And I don't know if that's because he was trying to be something that he wasn't. Uh, or or what? But uh, I I can't say that I, I thought he was going to fail or that it would end the way it did for him because I do think that he was really sharp from an X's and O's standpoint. Um, right.
0: But I don't know. <laughs> One of my favorite favorite <laughs> memories from that season. So twenty fourteen was my first year on the beat, and I remember we were at we were at Washington State in Pullman. And you're probably going to think that I'm going to talk about taking that photo together in the locker room together where you're just in a white shirt. <laughs> we did our little video with, with Grife after pumping weights, but that was, that was the first game that I was completely frazzled on deadline covering a college game. Cause it was like a 7:30 kick. It was yeah. in Pullman. So uh, Washington state threw probably like 80 times, the ducks almost lost. That was like 38 31. Uh, that was like the week after Jeff Fisher was hurt and, he turned himself into the most valuable left, left tackle in the country. Um, but I wrote with our deadline, we didn't have time to go down to the locker room and then get quotes and then file. It was basically just file what you have. And since I was a sidebar, like I was, it was kind of like, it's, it's, it's it was tough to like write a sidebar without getting quotes. Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote, I wrote like 800 words on clock, on a time of possession. And I had you proof it. And you just looked at me and you're just like, that's what you're running with. And like, and there was like two minutes till deadline. And that like, just all the blood (laughs) drained out of my, you're like, time of possession. Like, that's what we're doing. Like, that's what you came away with. And it killed me. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then, and so like, I'm all frazzled. And then we, we ended up going to the locker room after that. And to get to their locker room, you have to go into this separate building and like go through this maze of like uh like basically to their locker room and i got lost with R- royce freeman and, and so it's like me and royce like wandering through this freaking building to find the the, the press conference and get, get in there and you just got this shit-eating grin on your face and, and then me you and Grife record our, uh, our little like five minute post game thing and just like the lap pull down still swinging in the back it was it was very first class operation <laughs> god i'm an asshole sometimes
2: no, no. no. <laughs> I don't remember much of the all of those years, uh, Tyson. I, I do remember uh, the weight room film session or the video. I do remember working on my rear delts a little bit before that. They're, they're looking uh, good. They're looking good, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Royce Freeman. That's right. We did cover him, huh? So did they go to the championship? Because I I covered the Alamo Bowl and the national championship, which was first Alamo Bowl. So so much in the
0: middle, yeah. Alamo Bowl. So So they
2: played Texas,
0: right? So your your first year was when they were undefeated going into Stanford, who they played this week. Hey, there's a plug, Um, and then that was the one where Marcus had the, the the bad knee, and they ended up losing. I mean, they ended up scoring, like, four touchdowns in the fourth to, like, bring it back, but they ended up losing that one. Not four touchdowns, but.
2: Really? I don't remember that game. I remember them losing to Arizona.
0: Yeah, that was two weeks after, and that was, like, after, like, the stories of, like, ah, do we really want to go to the Rose Bowl again? Okay. Was that D? Yeah. Was that the Anthony or was that Huff? Oh, I, I didn't remember know. who it was yeah I
2: don't know. I remember they wore pink helmets <laughs> and tony washington got a a silly uh uh personal foul like celebrating or something stupid penalty not he was it was a stupid that it was called a
0: penalty uh
2: tony washington know. tony
0: Washington's back on staff now i uh yeah when, I saw that really cool. when when i yeah. uh I interviewed him for a story when he came back on staff and in doing that, I went back and read, you wrote a really nice piece about him um, right before the Rose bowl about him and his dad. No, um, that was, that was my first
2: story I wrote on the ducks.
0: Oh, shoot. Was it really, maybe, maybe <clears throat> yeah. they re- repurposed it before that Rose bowl, but um, so that, story, yeah, that was an excellent one.
2: The story behind that was as, as I told you guys, I got kind of uh, last minute assigned to cover the ducks that season. And I was panicking and I got the media guide and I just started studying it every day. I go through and read the player bios, you know, and, and I get to the W's and I get seeing Tony Washington's that his father had passed. And so I requested him to interview him and I asked him about, uh, his father and, um, it just, it, it opened up, it, Tony was really guarded at first, but then he opened up uh, about how he was struggling with his father's death and uh, all that and ended up writing the story. And it was, it was kind of, uh, that story did a lot for me, I think, in that locker room because Josh Huff read it and then he kind of, Josh kind of approached me and said, hey, I've got a story too. And, uh, I know Keenan and Marcus, uh, were more open and and mentioned that, you know, they appreciated my storytelling. And so that, that was a really important story for me to open with, but, uh, that came out of me basically panicking because I didn't know anything about the team. I didn't know anything about the guys. And I just scoured the, the media guide and found a little nugget that his father had passed. And, uh. Got him to tell a story about when he found out his, he was at a football practice. He was a a little kid and uh, I can't remember if it was his mom that came running onto the uh, field, but he knew something was wrong. And uh, yeah, his dad had come home from work and and collapsed and and died of a heart attack and um, kind of became a story of how he wanted to, to live up to uh,
0: and, and honor his father. Well, and then and then in the um in that Rose Bowl he ends up having that that the that, yeah. the the fumble return off of Jameis. Right. And, and I'm pretty sure he did you know some sort of motion to his, his dad when he yep. scored there that that was a pretty cool yep. moment. Yeah. God, the freaking Jameis fumble is still that that's the the I think one of the only things I've seen in person that's become like a a gifable moment like on, on like vi- that went completely viral. Yeah. Like that was Oh yeah. What, what was the sideline like when when that happened, Aiden?
1: Oh the the whole second half of that game where there was just turnover after turnover, like no one could believe it. You know we we all were confident that we could go out and beat Florida State, but for those turnovers to keep happening and them to just kind of give up, it was it was awesome. We were just we were all looking at each other like another one? Are you kidding me? And and when Jameis had that fumble we were just absolutely losing it yeah the, the cool
0: my my favorite experience from that entire thing was that was the first time i saw a, a stenographer in person a professional one and uh watching them type at some of those press conferences is incredible it's 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 mind blowing how quickly they uh they transcribe things
2: wait a minute did you see you're saying that was more um yeah mem- memorable than Seeing me get, seeing me get heckled at a uh, at a comedy
0: show. <laughs> so so we, uh, you know, when you go and cover these bowl games, you're at these things for like eight days, like which is fun for like the, especially the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is really fun for like the first two or three because they they have like uh, a whole lounge. It's called Granddads, and it's basically just free booze for the media the whole time there. But uh, it gets a little old after a while, and so we all went out. Was that at the comedy store or comedy the, store? Yeah, we go out to the comedy New Year's, st- New Year's Eve. <laughs> we go out there. And I didn't even know Quick was in a group that went there. I went, I, I ended up there with our photographer Tom Boyd, and we walk in, and it was one of those things where it was like five, it was like 15 bucks, and like all these celebrities came in and did like their five minutes or so. It was like yeah. David Spade, Whitney Cummings. Yep. Yeah. Um, and like, as we're getting sitting down, like quicks just already being heckled by like, like the guy on stage and quicks just telling him like, I just want to laugh, man. Just make me laugh.
2: No. So it, it's this guy named Brody Stevens. I was in the front row and at that time I was kind of, I was a little fat, you know? And so I would rest my, my, <laughs> my, my, my comfortable position was resting my was rest, was crossing my arms and resting them on my big fat gut. Which, which is this, a
0: fantastic position <laughs> as, as the resident big guy on this podcast. It's,
2: so this, this comedian, Brody Stevens, comes out, and he's just bombing, right? I mean, he was terrible. And so I'm sitting there, and he decides to direct everyone's attention to me, and look at this guy with his arms crossed, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, what an asshole. And I was just like, I just want to laugh, you know? Hey. <laughs> and so it turned into a big thing. And, uh,
0: yeah. Anyways. <laughs> that's that's my favorite part <laughs> of, of LA though is being able to just like pop it like that in Portland yeah. that probably would have been like a hundred dollar ticket yeah yeah that was a really cool night uh
2: yeah Dean Del Rey was there
0: uh I can't remember the other guys
2: um uh Neil Brennan
0: was there uh Neil Brennan's yeah. Neil Brennan's hilarious his uh his, yeah. net, his Netflix special that came out of I think it was called Three Mics a few years ago. I thought that one was really good. Yeah, it's really, really a good show, though. That it was fun. It, it was better than going to uh, what? What is it? that They made the players go to the the beef bowl. <laughs> oh the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was Lowry's. incredible. Yeah. Okay. Highlight of the week for most guys, I would say. <laughs> well, the
0: uh, I, I, I wasn't there, uh, but I think it was the the 2000 was. Did the Ducks go to the Rose Bowl in 2009? It was 2009. Uh, apparently one of the players like nearly choked and every, like mm-hmm. and I remember that I remember this I wasn't there but be I, I didn't want to go cover this beef bowl thing in 2014 it's like oh why do we need to be there and they're like the editors are like oh you know in case somebody chokes on like the 10 pounds of steak they're ingesting but yeah that, that would be kind of a rough one if uh, if a player died at the beef bowl and you weren't there to to, to turn it into a 15 page slideshow <laughs> Aiden how how close do you you uh stay in
2: contact with your former teammates? Uh,
1: it it varies. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty close contact with, with a decent group of them. Um, I was actually, uh, just recently down at the Justin Herbert invitational in Eugene, Mm -hmm. which, which was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, I, I got some good friends in Portland, um, Devin Melendez, former long snapper who, uh, Shout out to him. He stuck with it, and earned a scholarship his fifth year. Um, he's one of my best friends. He
0: got it in his fifth year, so like you're like already like 80k into it. <laughs>
1: it the, the funniest thing was we all showed up. I think we had nine specialists my freshman year, and Coach Osborne was heckling us all the time. He's like, "We got too many guys eating for free. We got the most specialists. <laughs> and, too many guys eating for free. And, <laughs> oh, that's great." So Devin gets on campus and he's like, yeah, man, you know, I'm long snapping. I played linebacker in high school. I'm just here to get big and transfer to like a big sky school. And it was a, it was a running joke. He, he came to talk to us about it. He's like, guys, I don't know if I want to come back for a fifth year. I'm really on the fence. And we just told him, you got to finish it out. You got to go from I'm here to get big and transfer to, to fifth year after we're all gone. Um, but yeah, yeah, the I stay in close touch with those guys, and then what's the Tyler Johnstone doing?
2: Was that his name, Tyler Johnstone?
1: Yeah, yeah, Offense, offensive lineman, offensive lineman. I think he's. He, I know he spent some time in the CFL. I'm not totally sure if he's there currently or not. I saw a picture of him recently, and he was looking a little slim, which made yeah. me think maybe he wasn't playing. It's I always of, enjoyed him. I thought he was really smart and funny, and uh, you know, he was a great
0: quote. It's, it's got to be tough uh, like being an offensive lineman who's not quite in the NFL but you basically got to keep that 350 pound frame like you know. in Canada and probably, it's probably not as good for you <laughs> <But, laughs> I know uh, I know from that group like Ty- Tyson Coleman still lives in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I la- last year when they dropped the uh, um, civil War from the Oregon Oregon State uh, game, I uh, I quoted him and Tyner both in that story. As uh, I I was talking to Tyson about it, and he's like, "I think it's the fucking stupidest thing ever." And he's like, "And you can quote me." And so I quote, and so I quoted him. And then he saw it the next day. He's like, "He's like, man, you're a savage, bro." I was like, "You told me I could quote you." (laughs) And he's like, "No, I did, but I didn't think you were gonna do it." (laughs) Yeah, you know, like dare me <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, all right jason the last thing i want to get you out of here on here is uh yeah. who would you write a book on oh geez you know what um, or what would you write a book on i
2: a lot of people ask me that and it um it actually is just exhausting to think about because uh, I'm just at a point where, where writing is has become hard for me. I mean, I say that it, it I put so much into it that it's exhausting for me. And like when I was young, I feel like I could I could write five thousand words and then the next day wake up and write a thousand, you know. And now um, I don't know. It's just, I'm ready to retire. <laughs> and, uh, but if I was, if I was to, if I had to write a book, I would probably write it on Dane. Um, just cause I've covered him, uh, closely for the longest, uh, athlete that I've covered. Um, you know, so I know him, but I, but the weird thing is, is like with Brandon, I felt like we were closer. Um, because like Dame and I aren't really that close. I think he respects me and we have a great professional relationship, but I am not, I'm definitely not like his buddy, buddy. Like he does not, you know, look at me in those terms. Like he definitely keeps me at an arm's length in that regard. So I, I don't know much about like his inner circle. I know them and have dealt with them on a professional basis from time to time. But like, you know uh, like Brandon's mom and dad, I knew very well. I could come up to them and uh, you know, blend in, his circle seamlessly in dames. I can't, you know, I'm just not, we don't have that kind of relationship, but still, I I know Dame um, very well just because I've been around him so much. I've written so much about him. So if I had to write a book, I would probably write one on him, but obviously it would take his cooperation to do it. And I'm not so sure he would
0: you know, kind of endorse that. Well, I mean, his, his story still got a whole bunch of chapters to go. So we'll, yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, I, I think this season's fascinating fast. It feels like this is going to be some sort of climax at the very least, whether it, whether it gets things going in the right direction, or if if it's kind of the one that, I mean, in, in, in your story today, you talked about him being wanting to be carried off in his shield. So I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe, maybe, that is reassuring to hear from Portland fans, but um, as someone who just kind of watches as a fan, like, like it, It feels like something needs to happen this year to like either show that it's going to completely work or or, you know, kind of reboot the whole thing, I guess. But yeah, I mean, if it doesn't, if this season isn't
2: successful, I mean, either Olshay is probably going to get fired or Dame's probably going to leave. So, you know, those are two pretty monumental things. So I I think you're right. I think this is a incredibly um,
0: defining season. Well, I'm stoked to hear how excited you are to cover it because you're, yeah. the, best, you're the best writer in the state. You've been incredibly influential in, in how I go about kind of pursuing stories and the things that I want to write. So, uh, oh, thanks Tyson. Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll edit this part out, but, uh, <laughs> but no, and and it's, it, it's still, it's still one of the coolest things that here in 2021, like where sports writing is supposed to be dead. And like, I still have people be like, Hey, did you read the quick story this morning? Like, like it still mm. has that, it still has that kind of, uh, oomph to it. And, and I especially know during like the playoff run and was it 19, the yeah. the, the, ni- the 19 playoff run, like your yeah. stuff, your, your stuff was must read during that playoffs. And it was really cool to like, see a big thing happen. And then just like, wait for like the story to drop the next day. Like, like there was oh, just like, cool. like old school sports writing and I, I couldn't respect you more for it, man. So, um, really, really appreciate you coming on this, uh, this three audience podcast <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that tyson those those words mean a lot i appreciate it oh, well what now boys all right awesome awesome thanks a lot jason appreciate that you, dude you bet uh we'll talk soon huh yeah yeah, yeah i guess uh, this, uh, let's, yeah. Keep this, let's keep this professional <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll see you aiden good I'm seeing playing. you all right later later man you too. all right we'll see you
0: You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.